welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. We have, if you're streaming with us, we're streaming at a weird time. And so if you're going to join us today, it's really cool if anyone has made it today. Um, but we're also just doing the KTRS, uh, KTRS version. So if you're joining us on the radio on the big 550 KTRS, welcome. We're going to be, we are broadcasting rather on Friday this time. So we're not no, as normal doing the one hour, one hour and a half uh, show before the game starts. So we're going to give ourselves permission to stray, right, Matt? We have Matt Baker here with me, Phil Grooms. How's it going, Matt? Good. We've got a pretty straightforward show here for you this week. Uh, nice nice and short from the podcast. And if you're tuning in on the Big 550 KTRS, we have our usual pregame coming at you a little bit earlier this week because of Mizzou football. So hopefully you get all the, the information for City you need and you're able to carry it forward to Saturday night where it's going to be an exciting matchup. It is indeed. Um, I'm excited about that. But first, we get to talk about L.A. Galaxy. Uh, Matt, I know you guys do uh, Flyover Fallout on Mondays, and I'm sure you've covered a lot of this, but I'm excited to just chat a couple takes here um, about it. And I don't know about you, Phil, but for me, the takeaways really have to center in the first half. Mm -hmm. My big takeaway in the second half, because of the way the game flow turned out, Sam and Denneron getting the red card, going down 10 men for a majority of the second half, it was basically that was good, um, good to take away in in how to experience it, how we can manage a game being down a player if that ever occurs for the for the remainder of the regular season into the postseason. It's one of those nice things to have under your belt as an expansion side of now you know what it's like to be forced into a, a version of a low block and to to run five at the back to be down a man to not have the offensive fortitude and firepower that you're used to. But then if you look at how the game started in the first half of the Galaxy, it was it was executed to a T in the game plan the city needed and desired to run out, knowing the Galaxy were going to overpower us in possession and that we were going to be uh, purposefully allowed to counterattack and to invite them in to possess the ball and then hit back at them. I think what we saw in the first half, nearly three goals uh, in, in just a few inches offside from a third goal, but the, the, the ability for our, our attackers to continue to be in form for our midfielders and defense, our lines were working very well in the first half. And Klaus got a goal. That was a huge takeaway because for his confidence, his ability to go forward, these next three matches, starting with Houston Dynamo, you need Klaus in form. That was one of my top takeaways from the Galaxy match. And listen, Klaus, he said he wasn't feeling confident, and now he has this confidence. Well, a not confident Klaus is trying to meg the goalkeeper with a soft shot. That was bold. My goodness. But what a finish from him and a good game from him as well. And yeah, this game changed in the 60th minute when when Sam got his red card. And so, you know, caveats being, could LA Galaxy have, uh, you know, tied it up in after the 60th minute, maybe it was 2-1 before the red card. And so I don't know. What I agree with you on is that St. Louis did what they planned to do, and it was working really well. So I I feel very confident about this team being able to do what they do, even in away games. And I think we're going to talk about that today in Houston. Matt, everything I wanted to say, you kind of said there, so I'm going to skip on to the next. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and Phil, too, uh, Tim Parker today on Thursday's press conference, I asked him, what kind of takeaways do you have from that game where it was so markedly different? And especially in the second half, where you can you can look to your run of play form and open play where you don't allow a single goal 
being down a man, or you can look to allowing a goal off of a set piece. And I asked him what the biggest takeaway is, and he said, "Kind of, I mean, it's a tale of two worlds. It's both. You have to take away the positives of what you were able to do as a defense, knowing that you can stand strong against uh, a Ricky Pouge-led offense that is is more than capable in their own right at even strength, but up a man, it's almost like what happened with FC Dallas could have easily happened to us. But And you have to also be aware that when you allow a set-piece goal, something that you have done quite a few times in the past, I'm remembering a few one-goal games that were decided by set-piece opportunities, continuing to learn from those. And so you take the good with the bad, and Parker really called out both of those. Yeah, and you just reminded me, too, that I was very worried about how this team was looking down a man um, against, against the Galaxy. And then the adjustment... Where we went, uh, we brought in Yarrow and Hebert when Nilsson got hurt, I think. And uh, we went to a five-man back line. It really solidified. Yes, I think it was something like a 5-3-1, a down a man. Um, yeah. So the midfield was having to run quite a bit to kind of catch on the, on the flanks. Uh, but that five-man back line was looking very good. And for real, around the 80th minute, I said, I don't know if they're going to beat us unless it's on like a set piece. And look what happened. They, they got that, that draw on a, on a set piece goal. Um, but I felt really good about that back line. So good that, you know, I'm still going to hold on to the possibility of three center backs at some point, even this season. I think that's a good thing to hold on to. And I think you can, whether it starts out as four in the back and we do a little asymmetrical shift, however it ends up being, we have more than enough center backs to make it work. Absolutely. Uh, Good stuff there. Uh, Let's go to player notes. There's a lot to talk about here um, and mostly good stuff. So Mac, take it away. Yeah, and it, I, I do want to start with the good because on Thursday's press conference, Bradley Carnell said everyone's looking really good. They've got training methods that everybody seems to be hungry on this week, and you're seeing a lot of guys who you were concerned about in the past now be more or less limitless in, in what they're doing. But it all started this week from a news perspective with Selmer Pedro, and so it's not going to affect the city game, but I do want to kind of call it out as – Uh, Just something for the city organization. Selmer Pedro was the first city signing last year, Bosnian International. It was made official on September 11th that he's been loaned to FC Zlin in the Czech First League through June 2024. So for the duration of this upcoming European season, he's, he's going to be playing in the Czech Republic. There is an option to recall, and so this is nothing but a positive to me. Pedro had fallen out of favor from city and he'd been seeing time with city two, possibly to showcase him for loans. And it's good to see him uh, ideally get more minutes regularly in the Czech Republic with FC's Lynn. And, and it gives him the opportunity to kind of catch his own form and to get back to regularity. Um, also kind of removing a roster spot this upcoming season An international slot has been freed up because of his loan. The option to recall is important because if he happens to get in form, you don't know what's going to happen with offseason roster moves. And so the flexibility next spring to recall him is going to be huge. Agree. And I just want to say about that Pedro loan, I'm going to echo what I said on Twitter that, you know, back in the day, St. Louis FC Loney from the fire, Drew Connor, uh, spent some time in the Czech Republic. And before that time in the Czech Republic, he was a good attacking midfielder slash central midfielder. Um, and when he came back, he said on extra time, he said that 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 
league surprised him how much those guys run. They run nonstop and fast the entire game. And he said their technical level was really high, too, to what he was uh, comparing it to in the USL and some of his MLS minutes. When he came back from that loan, he was a game-breaking attacking midfielder. Uh, He was able to get crazy passes in. He ran all over the pitch and was able to defend in that way, defending from the front. So all of these qualities that I literally saw Drew Connor improve on um, before my eyes, uh, we're hoping that Pedro gets that. I think this is a great loan place. I know this isn't a league that everyone like is able to get eyes on and they get excited about, but there are some good teams that play in European competition in this league. And I think uh, it's a great place for for Pedro. So I'm really excited about that one. Um, Absolutely. Got a couple and injury then- updates, right? A couple injury updates, one good, one bad. Joachim Nilsson, the injury update is he's been a full participant that we've seen in training both Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Bradley Carnell did not give him a an injury designation at the press conference, and so it sounds like he's a full go, which is great news for Joachim Nilsson, though we do wonder if he's going to be a full go as far as a full 90 or if he's, like we've heard over the past few days, going to be one of those players who... Uh, he, he can go 70, 80. He's going to have some kind of watch on him or some kind of uh, being prepared to bring him out of the game. And, and that's where our center back depth, I think, is helpful because we have the ability to give him that time that he needs and make sure we don't overextend him. On the bad side is Rasmus Alm. He was not in practice and training on Wednesday and Thursday with the team. He was doing some solo work that was seen on Wednesday, but it does seem like he is unlikely to play this weekend given his lack of participation with the team. Continuing to uh, recover, I would say, from that lower abdominal injury that Carnell said last week had been plaguing him. So it seems like we'll be without Alm, but it seems like Nilsson will be back with us. A related question we got on, it looks like, uh, YouTube. Uh, Chris Gebhardt asks, I assume Celio is back in the team for a, Dr- a Deneron spot. Maybe his, maybe Alms, maybe Pedro's, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, we were only at, I think we counted 21 field players. So there's just a few players who are training on Thursday who won't make the game day roster. You could look to maybe possibly John Bell and or Lucas Bartlett. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Celio Pompeu was in training with the team. And whether you want to say he'll take Sam's spot because Sam's suspended for this game, we know that's not an injury issue but it is a note for the houston dynamo match that sam and Deneron picked up a red card and he's suspended so whether you say salio could be taking a roster spot for sam or for rasmus alm either way it will be I- ideal i think to have salio in the lineup he provides a lot of um, dynamic offense and especially his work on the wings his ability to get in deep behind lines and and be very physical and creative with the ball he's exciting it'll be nice to get him back into things what he can do on the dribble is useful in any league in the world, even if his quality of finishing or passing may not be up there, which I think is, is pretty decent anyway. So uh, lastly, we have Miggy Perez is interesting because we saw him with City 2 for a while to kind of get some minutes when he's not playing with the senior team. And then he kind of disappeared. We're getting a lot of press about him, it's kind of some PR yeah. stuff online. So it's been a weird combination of things. And, I, and Matt, Matt's got an answer for us on this one. And yeah, in talking with talking to the press pool today, kind of hearing that uh, City shut him down, Miggy Perez, due to an ankle injury, and and he's been nursed slowly back up. And it, I'm I'm not sure if he's going to return to City two this year, but that's probably why it hasn't been a very focal point of discussion. He has kind of been allowed to play with City two in his development. I wouldn't say it's any kind of downgrade. I would say more of our depth now in the back half of the season has enabled us to take a more cautious approach in general to Miggy. But the ankle injury didn't help as far as 
that period of time a couple weeks ago where he was going to uh, participate with City 2 alongside Jensen and Pedro and that group uh, before their loans. And, and it just seemed like he disappeared. And so there was a lot of questions going on about what's going on with Miggy. Is he is he in City's future plans? There started to be a little worrisome part of the fan base. And so everything's fine from his perspective of still has a spot on the team. Uh, nothing's wrong with his future plans. Still homegrown players, still con- contracted. Everything's fine there. Just an a- ankle injury that the team's being cautious with. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. And honestly, we don't want him playing thousands of minutes for the senior team this this year anyway. I mean, a lot would be great, but uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, you're listening to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you for joining us. Matt, we're flying along today, uh, so we've got plenty of time for any uh, rabbit trails we may want to take. But let's start previewing this Houston game, this Dynamo game uh, that will be taking place in Houston uh, I know you've got some stats on uh, some some facts more so on St. Louis and Houston. Always my favorite part of the show. Oh. So diving into the preview, let's set the stage as we always do. St. Louis City is first place in the West. We know with 48 points through 28 games, 15, 10 and three record with 55 goals scored, 37 goals against. That's a plus 18 goal differential. We go into this match against the Houston Dynamo with a five, seven and two away record. We talked last week on our fallout show at the very end about MLS away records and it putting that into context. So if you have any questions or you're curious about if 5-7-2 is an overly bad MLS away record, uh, spoiler alert, it's not. And we deep dive that a little bit on last week's fallout show. Um, just take a look at the standings. Honestly, you'll see how few teams have winning records away. But St. Louis's last few games, we drew the LA Galaxy last week 2-2. We lost the week prior at Sporting Kansas City. And then we won midweek against FC Dallas before that. So we've kind of got an up and down flow in the past few matches for City. Seven clean sheets total, but we haven't had a clean sheet since our Inter-Miami match on July 15th. So it's been a, it's been a bit since we've been able to hold a clean sheet. And, and it's going to be an even bigger test to see if we can do that away. This uh, will be our third away match in a row, but it also begins another three matches in eight days stretch. And Bradley Carnell talked, and we'll mention a little bit about the lineups later on, but um, Bradley Carnell did have some comments at the press conference on Thursday about what kind of rotation they could be looking at or how they might be able to slot in players with these three matches in eight days again. Looking at the Houston Dynamo side, the Dynamo are currently in fifth place in the West with 39 points through 27 games. They have an 11, 10, and 6 record with 36 goals scored, 31 goals against. That's a plus 5 goal differential. They're 9, 2, and 2 at home. So they have been one of the most successful teams in MLS at home. Does not bode well for City, but even worse for City, I would say, is the recent form of the Houston Dynamo. They had last weekend off. They were one of the teams who did not play during this international break where only 10 teams saw action. Their last three matches were a nil-nil draw at LA Galaxy on September 2nd, a 2-0 win at home against Columbus Crew, and a 3-0 win at home against RSL. They beat Portland Timbers 5-0 before that. And so this is a team that has not lost in MLS play since July 12th at home against Minnesota United. They have not allowed a goal in league play since that game either. That's five total matches that they've had without allowing a goal. In matches where they've drawn their opponents, they're three and two in their following matches. So thinking back to how they were had a nil-nil draw against the Galaxy, it's a it's a 
it's kind of a, a up in the air as far as how they usually perform. They're three and two after those kinds of matches. And they're somewhat streaky. So looking at their season as a whole now, because we can do that, we've got enough sample size. Of their 10 losses, all but two have come as back-to-back losses. And so this is a team that when they're hot, they continue to be hot. And when they're cold, they kind of have a stretch, a period of time where they're cooled off. Now, you have to look at the fact that they did have an off week. So that hot streak they had where they've had five matches uh, without allowing a goal and they haven't lost an MLS play since July 12th. They had last week off. Is that going to be good for them? Is that going to be bad for them? Did they lose some momentum? Is it an opportunity for City? That's one of the things I'm going to look for. Very extensive, Matt. And uh, I have nothing to add to that because I think most of my thoughts aren't kind of on their style of play and stuff, which we're going to touch on in a minute here. Do you want to move on to player availability, uh, key players for Houston? Yeah, and Houston's coming in pretty healthy. Uh, They have some season-ending injuries. Um, Ifunyaki Akura is out with a knee. Teenage Hadebi is out with a leg injury. Tate Schmidt out with a knee injury. These are guys who I believe they were all out the last time we played them. And so there's, we're going to be seeing a mostly healthy Dynamo team. And they haven't picked up any injuries that we're aware of since they had this massively successful run of form in the past few weeks. So that's good news for them. Key players for the Houston Dynamo, it could start and stop with Hector Herrera. I'll, I'll go into a few others, but we have to start with Hector Herrera. And most of his, he is one of those kinds of players who he leads them in just about every key category, kind of like what we talked last week about Ricky Pouge. But he's also in MVP conversations. He's he's making lists now, just like Roman Berkey is, about that MVP consideration. He has three goals on the season, 13 assists on the season. And as MLSsoccer.com put it, he plays the biggest role of any player for any team in the league. Per American Soccer Analysis, he leads the league in touch percentage, which is the share of a player's touches compared to their teammates. Every single thing runs through Hector Herrera. He is the engine. He's the driving force, the facilitator. He's the finisher in some cases. But if the ball is going to be moving up upfield, it's going through Herrera. And the Dynamo are having their best season in years with him leading the way. And a lot of what we're going to talk about as far as their style of play and why they've been successful is related to Hector Herrera. And, and we're going to look at the last City Dynamo match here in a minute, but the spoiler alert for that is Hector Herrera did not start in that match that we beat them 3-0. Right. That, that has to play a factor when you're looking at the fact that we beat them 3-0 in what we can expect for this match. But before we kind of get into all of that, a couple other players to keep an eye on for the Houston Dynamo. Um, Amin Bassi, number eight. He's their center attacking mid. He leads the team with nine goals. No assists, so he's kind of he's kind of a finisher as far as what they do up front. But right alongside him, especially recently, is Corey Baird, number eleven. He's been playing their number nine role on the field, even though he wears number eleven. Second on their team with six goals. Second on their team with three assists. And in his past four games, he has three goals and one assist. This guy is hot right alongside their entire team in his ability to finish and and really win a lot of these games recently. A few other players to keep an eye on. Um, are Karaskia, number 20. He's their right mid recently. Two goals, three assists. He's top three in the team in key passes, in passes in the final third, and he leads the team in passes into the penalty box. So he's going to be a guy that they try to facilitate to on the right side after Herrera moves the ball up, after they get it into uh, into their attacking third. It's going to go over to the right side with Karaskia as he facilitates for Baird or Bassey. And then when you look defensively, because it's not all about offense, they've scored a lot of goals recently, but those clean sheets are something that cannot go 
unnoticed for the Houston Dynamo. And you can make an argument that it starts on the defensive end with Artur. They're number six. He plays their defensive mid, leads the team in tackles plus assists, tackles plus interceptions with 88, right above Franco Escobar with 84. And then the next after that is Hector Herrera. So you're seeing a lot of the the two-way playing have a really strong in their midfield. Um, Artur is also second on their team in blocks with 29 and Hector Herrera there first with 42. So these this midfield combination can you can be you can make an argument that is the, it is the single best midfield combination of two players in the entire league. And I know coming as St. Louis City fans, we we firmly believe that Blom and Leuven have that ability. But I think from what's been proven and how important they've been from a season long perspective, uh, it's hard to argue against um, Ache Ache and Artur as the two guys. And that's going to be the battle that I think we can look forward to in this match is going to be centrally in the midfield how are our two midfielders going to match up against their two and that's probably one of the more exciting head-to-head battles that i think we can look to and the last the last player news that are key player for them is obviously steve clark their goalkeeper 11 clean sheets is a 1.19 goals against per 90 so this is a guy who when when shots are allowed he does not allow very many goals and, and that's going to be kind of difficult on the, on the road. Traveling for an MLS team is difficult and facing an opponent in this kind of form with a keeper who has a, a history this year of clean sheets and he's, he's in great form himself. It's going to be a tough task. I love you mentioning um, Artur, Corey Bear. These are like MLS journeymen, right? These are experienced players in the league, and they are. They're, they're going to be solid in this game. I think, you know, I've really enjoyed watching the Apple previews, the Apple TV previews of each game. And it was one that I was watching recently where they said, you know, one of those extra time guys was talking about how they thought Corey Baird was a good enough player to get like 10, 20 goals in him, and depending on the situation, right? And he's on a hot streak, and so I think that's why they brought it up. He's been looking really good at the nine position, and so that's kind of fun to watch. He's an American player, uh, but again, as you laid out there, the big story is Ache Ache, Hector Herrera. I, you know, I did not expect him to be as good as he is this season. I did not expect him to get the ball as much as he does this season. Heck, I don't think any of us expected uh, Ben Olsen to have an attacking team possessing the ball all the way through it. I I think we're seeing his quality as coaching uh, defense, but Hector Herrera, after a terrible season last year, has really, um, really been amazing this season. MVP conversations for sure, as you said. So, um, you know, I forgot that he missed the first part of this game. I was feeling very bullish on St. Louis's chances. Yeah. But if, if Hector Herrera plays a full game, um, it's going to be a big challenge. And, you know, you think of the Mexican national team, Hector Herrera, you you think, okay, just chop him down if he's the most important person. Just foul the heck out of him. I would love it as an American fan, um, you know, against a, a Mexican international. He's one of the dirtier players in international play, but he's a real good laid-back player when he plays in MLS. I was expecting to really cheer against him home at home uh, last time, and he was pretty chill, um, which surprised me. So um, looks like he's relying on his talent and, and nothing else in these games in MLS, and he'll be one to watch in this game for sure. Yeah, and you called it the the big stories of this match, and there's a few, and I think it starts with the this is a rematch of the June 3rd match that we played at City Park in St. Louis where St. Louis City defeated the Houston Dynamo 3-0. 
And and you called it, Phil, and we mentioned that Hector Herrera did not start that match. This was coming at a point of fixture congestion for the Dynamo. They rested Ache Ache in the first half. He actually came in for our tour in the second half. So we didn't we didn't see hmm. their strong midfield play together side by side. That's that's going to be the thing to remember, I think, in this match. And so with that rotation, the fact that this was their second loss in a row at that time in MLS play, they they lost to Vancouver 6-2, then they lost to St. Louis 3-0. They went on to win three in a row after this, so that kind of speaks to the streakiness that I mentioned. But looking back at what that previous match was, it's almost like both teams are new versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. Houston, you can point to, they don't have to worry about the rotation because of fixture congestion right now. They have a healthy team. They're incredibly in form. St. Louis City, at that point in the season, uh, this was coming off of the heels of so like that sporting Kansas City match. We were running Indiana Vasilev at the 10. This was pre-Akil Watts at right back, pre-AZ Jackson at the 10. Klaus was still out. This was a different-looking St. Louis City side. We had found an ability to win with Indy at the 10 and Joe Keeney up front, and we were running with with successfully with uh, Tomas Ostrock subbing in, and we had goals in that first match by Leuven and Joe Keeney at PKs and Tomas Ostrock through the run of play. Um, this was, I believe, the match where Joe Keeney requested to take the PK to try and kind of get his mind right on scoring mm. goals. And that was kind of a big uh, takeaway from this match, if anybody remembers, when he asked Leuven to take it. And and I think that knowing how different this St. Louis City team was in individual positions, but also at that point in the season, um, I have a hard time really saying there's a lot we can take away from that game. It, it, win, lose, or draw and carry it forward into this game. It's not like they're the same players, but the things that they're going to be doing, the roles they're going to be playing, and some of the personnel we're going to be facing are just so different that I am I definitely want to caution against just seeing the scoreline of 3 nothing and saying, oh, we beat them once 3 nothing. This should be a, a walk in the park. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what it looks like. I think we should go right into this next part because I think that will give us a few clues. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think we should look at these as two different teams because it's not going to be like the previous matchup. And so let's erase what happened in the last game. Yes, it was 3-0, but our team looks so different. Their team is going to look different with their starting 11 in there for the full 90 or close to it. Let's talk about their strengths and city strengths and, and see what we can glean from it. Yeah, Houston Dynamo's strengths are they, they shoot great from direct free kicks. They create chances using through balls. Um, Ache Ache is going to be huge in that front. Uh, they defend well on set pieces. They get the lead. They don't lose the lead. We know what St. Louis does well. We know St. Louis is a counterattacking team. They're great on set pieces. They create a lot of scoring opportunities. They are great down the wings. Um, and, they're, and they're good from free kicks. They, they're good at their duels. But a lot of the things that Houston is weak on, I would argue that it, aside from the aerial duels, you know, Houston isn't particularly weak against teams that play through the wing. And they have a good, strong back line that's led by uh, their center back duo, Michael and Ethan Bartlow. And so those, those two, along with Steve Clark, are credited with a lot of the clean sheets that they've had and their ability to shut out opponents. And so my thought is, knowing how much St. Louis loves to try and break that uh, that back line with some really long passes, whether it's high and winning duels and then playing it off to other players, 
Um, Houston's not particularly weak in those areas. They they are weak against some through balls, so I wonder if there's an opportunity for our midfield to do some work here. But looking at how often Houston attempts their own through balls and how they love to attack through the middle, and then they play in their own half up to the midline, there are going to be opportunities to try and encourage Houston to have more possession. They're already a possession-based team, not nearly as much or as heavy as a Galaxy side, but there's an opportunity to see them, and we'll talk about their areas of field in a moment, but there's an opportunity to kind of invite them more and more. And if St. Louis can do a good enough job of cutting off different points of passing and, and force them to kind of move the ball a little more horizontally than they usually do. I think that's where we're going to find a lot of success in removing some of the options that Ache Ache has in moving the ball up the field. And in some ways, just making him and Artur more involved in a deeper part of the field from a dynamo perspective. Absolutely. And, and I think the more, you know, I love the matchup for that reason. And the more St. Louis can kind of force them to waste time, worthless passes back and forth horizontally, horseshoe around the box even at times, um, I would love to see a lot of that. And yes, it is worrisome that Herrera has one of the better long ball, um, you know, long ball aims and percentages in the league probably because um, he's always been good at that. Uh, but I do like our chances, especially if Nielsen is healthy between Parker and Nielsen being able to shut that down as well as our, our midfielders. But our center backs are so good at stepping up, winning those headers and knocking it out of there and transitioning as uh, we saw uh, some stats about how fast St. Louis is yeah. in transition. Um, as said, that was a cool tweet that Timmerman posted, but it was posted by Matt Doyle, right? Yep. It, it was, was an article from Matthew Doyle. And my favorite part about that is it backs up everything that we talk about regularly Absolutely. on our show. Yeah. What, some Those are some of my favorite stats to look at is how uh, like the directness and the overall passing style that St. Louis has because when you look at the, the, the directness that St. Louis has along with how few passes, we are, we are the quickest team in the league when you talk about how we move the ball up the field. And, and I really enjoyed that that was kind of spotlighted on the, the national landscape. Yeah, Doyle said by a lot we're the fastest in transition. And so I think it was two and a half. I think it's on average or um, on a breakaway, what is considered a breakaway, mm-hmm. two and a half passes per breakaway and it happens in like 2.8 milliseconds or yes so it was crazy it was just a really fast stat um and houston is you know nowhere near that nor do they intend to be i don't think but no and and that that is kind of houston's middle of the pack i would say in in their overall sequence time passes per sequence they're ninth in the league in those categories so how long it takes them to kind of work the ball up or work the ball around in general for sequence time of holding the ball passes per sequence they're also ninth in the league so they don't they're not overly possessive and this goes to my point a minute ago of they're around 50 52 percent possession on average and so they're going to pass the ball around a little more, definitely more than City, and it will be noticeable, but they're not going to just sit on the ball for extended periods of time like the Galaxy. We're not going to have moments, I think, where we get into 65 70% possession by the Houston Dynamo. They are also 10th in the number of 10-plus passing sequences, so they will be they will take those opportunities to move the ball around if they need to. They're deliberate in what they do, but they'll also they're also adept at striking when they see an opening. And that's going to be 
Well, like I said, the biggest thing for St. Louis is cutting off some of those lanes and making sure that they don't get those openings and they continue to work the ball around a little more because every pass that they make is another opportunity for St. Louis to use it as a push point and what they're pressing does to take the ball. In addition to that, the Houston Dynamo are the 11th slowest in the direct speed. So your point of St. Louis being so incredibly quick and moving the ball up the field first in the league and how quickly we move the ball up, Houston's the 11th slowest. So they're on they're on that back half of how much how how direct they are in moving the ball and that speaks to our point of forcing them more horizontally. Yeah, and, and what you said about closing down the the areas where they can find a gap and push through it as fast as they can once they do. Um, again, you know, just to hammer this home, like I said last week against LA Galaxy, you're going to see St. Louis double and triple team these players. And it is in those moments you need to watch that will there be a gap in that pressing? Because every once in a while, it's just like almost like a ball watching situation where they don't all press all at once in unity and there, someone's able to slip the ball out. And that's, you know, something that a team like Kansas City was good at, something like Houston. Um, if anyone is ready to pounce on a hole and move through it quickly, that's the kind of stuff that can hurt us um, other than something like a big switch on a, on a big counterattack. So it's just things to watch for in the press for City in this game. Right. And areas of the field, if we're looking to, we, we talked about the midfield and how Houston will love to move the ball directly down the midfield or the ball will spend a lot of time in the midfield with Ache Ache and with our tour. But in, in general, Houston loves to control the midfield up to the half line. So they, in on average, have about 60% possession in that portion of the field. And so through the through to the half line in the mid, that's where they're going to spend most of their time. They also do dominate possession down the left wing of their attack, all the way through to the end line of their opposition at a greater than 50% possession. So mm. if we look to where they're going to live with the ball, you look for moving it up the midfield centrally and then kicking it wide to the left, whereas they allow uh, less than 45% possession down their defending right side. And so this is... This is kind of looking at how that asymmetrical look can be where they almost pivot themselves to push up on the left a whole lot using their fullbacks to, to spread the field and they kind of move back on their right side a little bit. Not unlike City does with the inverse of that, pushing up on our right and pulling back on our left when Kyle Hebert is in at left back. It's going to be interesting to see how they stretch the field in those ways, trying to create openings for guys like um, Quinones out on the left, for Bassi in the middle, and just seeing how they're able to spray the ball based on what St. Louis is giving them. And so when you think of how they're going to move the ball, to me, you also have to look at what lineup St. Louis is going to throw out there and not to get too ahead of ourselves on our lineup predictions, but that's where the conversation of Akil Watts, Kyle Hebert, Anthony Markanik, those kinds of players come in because we know St. Louis has a markedly different look in their defense depending on which fullback is in the lineup. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if they're going to overload the left side, does that, you know, are we, do we feel good about Watts being there? Do we think Blome will kind of guard that right side and Leuven will stay on the left? What do you think? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know regardless of if Akil Watts is more of a pressing a fullback or not, I think that's the opportunity for Blome to really help out. He's going to be important in the midfield battle against Hector Herrera, but at the same time, Blome is an experienced right back. And so the more he shades over to the right, hmm. I'm still comfortable with him performing that role and covering the gaps that he needs to to cut the ball off. Really good point there with the uh, right back experience and now right center back with City. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, did, should we move to keys to the game? I think we've got some time here. 
Yeah, I, and I, I do want to like reinforce um, Ache Ache's importance. You know, talking about how he controls the touches, and I mentioned, I alluded to him leading in a lot of key categories, but I wanted to call some of those out in, because it kind of it drives to the way he's such an impactful player for their team. He leads them with 194 progressive passes, meaning passes that kind of progress the ball more than 10 yards up the field. The next highest is Amin Bassi with 121. So 194 to 121, massive difference when you add that up in each game. Key passes with 50, Bassi's the next highest with 38. Passes into the final third. He's leading all of these categories. He's leading shot creating actions by about 50 more than the next player. He's he's the leader in crosses with 138, whereas uh, Adalberto Karaskia is next with 45. And I can't help but laugh because <laughs> 138 crosses compared to the next highest at 45. Herrera is going to be spraying the ball all over the field. And that's what we're going to I, like. I cannot underscore this enough in the importance that Hector Herrera is to their passing network and how they how they move the ball up the field. And when one of the things that I'd love to do is look at those passing networks to see where where he is in particular. Number 16, Hector Herrera, the guy you need to watch for whenever Houston has the ball. He is central to every single thing that they will do. He's he's a, a prototypical midfielder in the sense that his passing is the thick. Like if you look at the passing network on MLSsoccer.com, the lines are so thick everywhere around Herrera. He has consistently um, at least double digit passes to about five different players every single game. And regardless of how the rest of their offense looks and what their what their rotations and lineups look like and if they're skewing more to the left side, like we mentioned, or if they're playing more symmetrical where they push both of their fullbacks up high, Herrera's still in the middle. He's still providing service to Bassi, to Corey Baird. He's the one who's still making it happen out to the wings. And so wherever the ball ends up in dangerous areas for them, it will be because of Hector Herrera. Yeah, and I think it'll be really important to watch Markanic on this one. As we said, the overload's going to come on the left, and Herrera is going to shade to the left as well. So if you mm -hmm. see him collect a ball outside of our box or even toward the midline, and uh, on the left side, he will probably often gather that ball, take a touch, and then shoot a, um, a somewhat of a long ball slash cross to the weak side. And so watch for that move. You just saw USA yeah. do it to Oman like probably 12, yep. 15 times because it works. It's one of Burhalter's favorite moves, I think. But um, I would, wouldn't be surprised at all if that happens a lot. And it'll be on uh, Marcanic a lot or whoever the left back is, if it's, if it's Hebert, to make sure that that backside is guarded, which is kind of tends to be the weakness of, of a fullback. Uh, so, but our team has been good at it, so I'm not terribly worried about that. We do have, we will have some options, I think, if they run out their A lineup, and I think that gives us a look at how they played the Columbus Crew, because the lineup I saw them run out a few weeks ago against the Columbus Crew, to me, is likely what we're going to see. And the way that they had their overall style of play is they pushed both fullbacks up near midfield, almost in an attacking role regularly. And so that provides opportunities for both of both of our wingers, our fullbacks, to to make runs on the wings and to get in behind their back line. That's the opportunity I think City has to create space in our attacking third is by counterattacking down the wings and then sending the ball in centrally. We're going to be relying, I think, on both fullbacks, depending on whether it's it's Hebert or Marcanic. I think Watts is going to be incredibly vital to this game. Mm -hmm. I think Jared Stroud is going to be incredibly vital to this game. 
and possibly Indiana Vasilev. Like depends on whoever we run out in our midfield, our wide midfield roles, as well as our fullbacks. There's going to be opportunities for overlap and getting the ball in. If we have, if we are leading this game in crosses, considering how good Houston is at that, I think we're going to be in a good position because the deeper we can get on the wings, mm. the wider we can draw their center backs out and get in behind a lot of their pressing fullbacks. And it pins back their fullbacks as well. So that'll be good yes. one, a good move for sure. Uh, we have a question. We have a little bit of time here. You're listening to us as we're flyover footy. You're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. And uh, we have another good question here that I'd like to touch because we have a little bit of time. It's Matthew Schornheiser. Schornheiser. Sean Heiser, Heiser. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he says um, City is arguably one of the toughest remaining schedules. How yes. many points can City fans realistically expect from here on out, Matt? Oof. Well, don't have the schedule in front of me. I do. But so I- it's Houston this weekend in Houston. Yes. LAFC at home midweek. Mid. Oh yeah, midweek. Thank you. Minnesota away. Kansas City at home. Vancouver away, who just got a new player we'll talk about eventually. Yeah. And then Seattle at home. Tough teams. Some of those are at home. The midweek against one of the arguably toughest opponents uh, is going to be an interesting one. Yeah. So the six games that we have left, um, if you look at getting a point, averaging out a point from each away game, I think that would be be not not quite best case scenario, but I think an optimistic perspective. Um, along with stealing at least two home games that we have left. Because the, the other thing about our, our last our schedule is we were looking at it this afternoon. Of the six remaining matches against Western Conference opponents, five of them are basically the next five in the power rankings after us. Mm. And I look at power rankings because that looks at, at form recently. And that's so the, there's standings and then there's power rankings. And that's why power rankings are important because it looks at the form of teams. And so I pay attention to the fact that Houston is the next highest Western Conference team in the power rankings to St. Louis. I look at the fact that after that, it gets to be LAFC, Vancouver, Minnesota, Seattle. And then Sporting Kansas City is a little down there. So that's the big opportunity. I would say. I would look for seven or eight points maybe in the remaining games and be decently happy with it. It's a, it's a difficult stretch. And so like, I try to be optimistic and say that, yeah, three points against LAFC, three points against sporting Kansas city, three points against Seattle, those home games. Why not have nine out of that? But you know, we know St. Louis doesn't do great in midweek matches and that's an LAFC home game. That's a trap game. Uh, Sporting Kansas city. I locked that in for three. We need to beat them. And then Seattle at the very end of the season, that's going to be difficult. And the West Coast travel to Vancouver, like we put ourselves in good position to rack up the points so far. But don't be surprised if we have a a bad run of run of form here in these next few games, just because of how treacherous this is. I would argue that St. Louis has the most difficult last six games uh, than of, of any MLS team. Yep, and that's what Matthew Schornheiser said. <laughs> I think that's how you would yeah. probably say it. And yeah, so to break that down a little bit, Matt, if you want to get three points or one point per game on average away, that means one victory would do it. So if we don't win yep. against Houston or don't draw, and or just draw all three, uh, but if you look at Houston, Minnesota, Vancouver away games, I think one of those could be a win. Um, and I think definitely it could be three draws. Um, and so, you know, it might be nerve wracking to wait till Vancouver to really seal the deal. But but I, I love that. I think that's a good goal for all of those games. And, you know, if you haven't listened to the new Taylor Twelman podcast, um, I think it might be a show on Apple TV as well. I'm not sure about that. 
But either way, it's a, it's a good podcast, and he is bullish on St. Louis versus Seattle. He's basically, you know, dismissing it as a inevitable city win just because Seattle's been a little bit rough here at the yeah. end of the season, second half of the season. So, um, anyway, that's the big opportunity. That's the big yeah. opportunity is to finish with that. And so you could easily look at. Uh, let's say nine points would be a very, very happy finish, taking three from Sporting Kansas City, three from Seattle, and then finding another three points tucked in those other games. We know City doesn't draw regularly, so banking on three draws mm. is not realistic to me. Good point. But I think we could steal a win from any of Houston, Minnesota, or Vancouver. And if we take one win from one of those three games, coupled with a win against Sporting Kansas City and a win against Seattle at the end of the season, I think that's a conference title. I agree, completely agree, and to be, and I just want to kind of reiterate, it's been a weird uh, linking of games here lately with City, as you laid out earlier in the, in the episode here. Uh, but you know, if Houston and LAFC don't go perfectly, have hope that I think that's the worst of the hump here, and and yeah. maybe we gain momentum going into the playoffs. Um, Chris Gebhardt lastly mentions that I didn't realize this, that between the Vancouver game and the Seattle game, there's 17 days of rest. I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, that's a weird international break that MLS respects uh, before okay. the, the final game of the season. And it's, that's an unfortunate, that's it, it's like that for all the teams. So everybody's got even playing field, I think here, but it is going to be an odd October. I'm good with that. I love MLS respond, uh, respecting the international breaks. They don't do it enough. Uh, so that's something we'll talk about in the future. I We took a little too much time, but it was kind of a fun rabbit trail, Matt. Let's quickly go through our lineup predictions, and we'll call it a day. I'm running out with somewhat of a familiar lineup. I think we're going to do a 4-4-2. I really enjoyed seeing the flat 4-4-2 against mm. uh, the LA Galaxy. I've got Kyle Hebert back in the lineup at left back. Tim Parker, Joachim Nilsson, Akil Watts make up our back line. Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven in the midfield with Stroud and AZ Jackson kind of wide. I don't know who's on what side, but I I, I like seeing AZ in that uh, left-sided role, that kind of playing cool. the 10, 10 out wide. And then Klaus and Joachim up top. Yeah, and I think with Sam out, uh, I'm going to say 4-2-3-1. So echo your back line, midfield, and then I just think uh, the wingers and attacking midfield will be Azeel. Um, sorry, Stroud, and then let's just say Thorison. Um, and then I think Klaus to start it off and Joe Akini to finish it off. Uh, that's our two guesses of, of lineups there. That's it from us today. We're Flyover Footy. You're listening on the big 550 KTRS. Everyone, enjoy this matchup this weekend. Lots more goodness to come before the playoffs. Six more games, everybody. It'll be fun, and I hope you join us every week on the podcast here on KTRS. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you soon. Let's go, City. Let's go, City.